Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Then you went through and you did this different process, now still in the lobby. So the same trigger now associated with a different process. And then you got the reward of having the satisfaction of playing with this new toy. The next time you went into the lobby and saw that trigger, you were able to start overriding that previous habit. We train customers. And no matter how bad your system is, after a period of time, if your customer persists with you, they know how to get around things. The interesting thing on the story was they clearly understood that to change habits, they had to do an intervention. Hi, this is Colin, and I wanted to ask you a favour. It would really help Ryan and I if you could spend a moment and complete a review of the podcast. Positive reviews help us get out to more people, and we love hearing from our listeners and seeing what people have written. So please, just take a moment and complete a review. Thanks very much for your help. So Ryan, a number of years ago, I read a really good book called The Power of Habit by Charles, do you remember his second name? Charles Duhigg. Duhigg, that's right. Thank you very much. Yeah, really good book. And ever since then, it's sort of this whole area of habits has fascinated me. And I was sitting there thinking the other day, I've changed so many habits in the pandemic, whether it's sort of been business meetings, not going to mm-hmm. physically turning up at business meetings as much, whether it's grocery shopping, so we get all of our grocery shopping delivered now, whether it's mask wearing, whether it's, I've even got this app on my Apple. Mm-hmm. Nice to get that in early, isn't so, it? So some habits are not changed. <laughs> I want to make that clear also. <laughs> no, somehow it's not changing. But I'm more watch, you know, the doing um, exercise and stuff like that. So I was sitting here thinking this has been, the pandemic has really been a, a time when people have changed so many habits. Yeah, it's true. So I thought today we would do a podcast on five rules for changing your customer habits. I love it. Okay, so, you know, what can we learn from the pandemic? And and if people want to change customers' habits going forward, what do they need to do? Maybe I pass over to you and you tell us officially what a habit is and the sort of the technical bits behind it, and then we can go into the five rules. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's a great idea. I Back in the days when companies would still call me up and ask me to come up and teach them about things, habits is one of those that gets people really excited. I think that it's at the forefront of people who are interested in behavioral science and understanding yeah. consumers. Understanding habits is really key to it because a lot of customer behavior is habitual, as you say. So let's talk about what a habit is. So a habit in its most general terms is a learned predisposition to react in a certain way based on a certain set of cues. Right. Right? So habits dwell in this 
distinction between our, our automatic intuitive mind and our rational deliberative mind. So the automatic intuitive part of your brain is constantly looking for ways to help to make things easier. And so when you engage in some kind of repeated behavior, like, you know, buying toothpaste every couple of weeks when you go shopping, then that automatic part of your brain starts to recognize that as a repeated behavior. And it says when it's in that situation where that behavior might be engaged, like say, as you walk into the toothpaste aisle, the automatic part of your brain goes, oh, oh, I know what's supposed to happen here. And it pulls up all these memories and feelings and, and routines that make it easier to do what you've done in the past. And repeat that cycle a couple of times and you've got a habit. Right. And is there any truth in the rumor that, I remember reading somewhere that it was something like, you have to repeat something, I don't know, is it seven times? twenty Yeah, or something like that for it to become a habit? Yeah, no, there's not. Because <laughs> oh, I'm on my 20th day of one of the habits that I'm trying to form. Um, yeah, don't bother. <laughs> don't bother. That's one of those nuggets of wisdom that's just passed around eternally, and I'm not aware that anybody ever cites anybody as having first documented that. It seems to just be right. general wisdom. I'm sure that there is an average length of time for which habits are formed, but it's almost certainly not helpful to know what that average is. The interesting bit is whether the habit is a conscious habit or a, a sort of subconscious habit. And yeah. I've only just really sort of started to think about this, but I am consciously trying to use Alexa more mm -hmm. to I shouldn't have said that, otherwise everyone's Alexa's machine has suddenly popped up now. So my apologies for that. But I'm trying to use that more for house automation, and I'm but I'm forcing myself into using that, whereas I guess some other habits are ones that I'm not consciously thinking about. Is that right? Yeah. We can try to deliberatively form habits, you know, like maybe you want to – get into the habit of, of going for a jog every morning after you wake up. And so you can try to create that behavior and then reinforce it over time. And then we hope that a habit will form. Right. In Charles Duhigg's book on habits, he talks about a bad habit that he formed, which was that as he was working in the afternoon, every afternoon around, I don't know, two or three o'clock, he would go down to the vending machine and buy a cookie and kind of give him a little pick me up for the rest of the afternoon. As he pointed out in that story, that habit did not take 21 days to form. It took like two. The intuitive part of our brain responds to certain types of rewards, and among them are sugar. And so that's part of the reason why bad habits are so easy to form and good habits are so hard to form, because the intuitive part of our brain is necessary to form this habit. And if it's a virtuous habit, it may not provide any system one automatic intuitive rewards for us. Right. So if you if you want to get up and jog every morning, honestly, that might never become a habit in a scientific sense. That might just be all willpower every morning because your intuitive part of your brain may never recognize a reward from that behavior. Now, if you right. really enjoy jogging, if you get a runner's high, you know, if you meet up with friends to jog and that's enjoyable, all of those things can serve as a reward to reinforce this habit. But the 21 days rule, not particularly true or helpful in my opinion. Okay. 
So let's go through the five rules for changing customer habits. And and as I say, take a look at um, Charles's book, The Power of Habit. It's very good. One of the things that he talks in there about is, I guess it's, I've put this down as number one, right? Understanding your customer habits, okay? And Charles talks about three stages, if you like. There's the trigger, mm-hmm. yeah. It could be the waking up in the morning or entering the grocery store to buy your toothpaste. There's the action. That's, I guess, obviously, it's what you do. Yep, how you respond. Absolutely. And then there's the reward, which is effectively what you get out of it. So satisfaction that you've just had the cookie, as you've just said, or that you've met up with your friends for a, for a jog or whatever else. So it's the it's the reward. So it's the, it's the first thing about that. So... I think sort of being able to, the enlightenments that I've had since I started looking at this stuff, which was a number of years ago now, but the when I started to think about, I started to think about this, it was really interesting to break it down into those those three areas. Oh, yeah, I agree. The habits research has been going on for many decades at this point. And once somebody points out to you those different stages of habit formation, then it makes perfect sense. And you go, oh, right. No, I, I understand how I formed these habits myself and I understand what other people do. But without that simple structure, habits can seem very abstract and very difficult to deal with. So I, I agree. I love the structure. There's one that I would add to that list of three, okay. which is that it, it needs to be a repeated behavior. Okay. System one, our intuitive system is not going to recognize that this should be a pattern unless we've got all three of those things happening at least a few times and, and often much more often. Right. So when we get into, and again, as you rightly say, when I started looking at this a number of years ago, I thought to myself, blimey, you know, these triggers are really important, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, number two is understanding customer triggers. Now, I've purposely named this five rules for changing customer habits because what we ideally want to happen is you want customers to form habits to purchase your services or to use your services or products, what it may be. And therefore, there are a certain group of people that have got habits for doing other things. So you want to, ideally, you want to change those those habits. It could be, I mean, let me talk to you about a couple of ones, actually. And this is to do with the airline that's in your neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. which is Delta. Yep. So two stories I'm going to give you. One was when airlines first started to do self-check-in, my habit was effectively was to join the queue. I didn't go to the self-service. And even though I'm technically literate and uh, enjoy technology. I love that you said that you're technically literate, implying that you you maybe can't actually read. <laughs> I think what you meant to say is you're a very tech-savvy person, which is true. I'm a very tech-savvy person. You, you're yes. very into gadgets. I love gadgets. My house is full of gadgets and my wife hates them. Full of gadgets with no words on them. Because again, <laughs> Colin Shaw can't read. You heard it here first. Folks. Thank you. That's why I use Alexa so much. <laughs> I mean, this this is a an interesting story for understanding habits, though, isn't it? Because you should have been first in line. Yeah. You should have been the first to say, oh, a touchscreen. I, I, this is a new opportunity for me. And you didn't. And why not? 
Well, yeah, I mean, there was lots of reasons why not, not least of which is just making sure to giving you the confidence that something as important as checking in for a flight you've done correctly, basically. It, well, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the stakes involved probably slowed you down. I also think there was this trigger story. You you walked into the ticketing lobby and that intuitive part of your brain says, oh, I know what happens now. We go to this queue over here. And so it lined up all of these behaviors for you so that the easiest thing for you to do when you walked into that lobby was to do exactly what you'd done before. That The lobby was a trigger for you. That's a good point. I've not thought about it from that perspective before. The interesting thing on the story was that I joined the back of the line, mm-hmm. but they clearly understood that to change habits, they had to do an intervention effectively, okay? And therefore, to change my habit, they have effectively employed people to comb the cues. In other words, somebody walking up and down, talking to people. And they came up and said, hey, I see you're checking in. Why don't you come over here and I'll show you how the self-service piece works. And they did, and it was all great. And clearly, thinking about it now, you would never dream of standing in a line to check in with all the technology you have now. But I thought that's a good example because they physically had to do something to change the habit, even though, as you say, technically savvy. Yeah. You know, the way they did it is they interrupted that trigger, right? So the trigger sent you into the queue. They kind of broke that pattern you know, it was the same trigger response reward process because then you went through and you did this different process now still in the lobby. So the same trigger now associated with a different process. And then you got the reward of not having to wait in line, kind of having the satisfaction of of playing with this new toy. And the next time you went into the lobby and saw that trigger, you were able to start overriding that previous habit. So now when you walk into a lobby, your automatic response is to walk straight up to the kiosk. And if ever they're down, you're now going to be really annoyed because that's the process you're used to now. Yes. And obviously everything's moved on now because you just do things on your iPhone anyway, basically, or any other device that you may have. Let's take a step back. Number one, rule number one, understand your customer's habits. Rule number two, discover the trigger. And let me give you some other triggers because people may be thinking to themselves, well, I don't really understand what a trigger is. You know, the trigger is, and it could be a conscious thing or a subconscious thing. So in other words, you could be aware of it or you may not be aware of it. So it could be the smell of coffee. Whenever I walk past a Starbucks, I smell coffee and I think, hmm, I'm going to have a, I'd like to have a cup of coffee. It could be that I'm driving down the road and I go, oh, I need gas. Now, my habit is to go to a place called BJ's which is a sort of like a wholesaler that we use uh, in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. But there's a sort of more of a physical habit there. And again, I was thinking about this. There was just so many conscious and subconscious habits, aren't there? Yeah. A lot of times when we explain habits, we talk about conditioning, classical conditioning, which is the process you use to train animals. There are parallels there. In some ways, you're training your intuitive system through the same process that you would use to train a dog to do certain tricks. And the difference between training an animal and and training, well, one of the differences and training part of our mind is these triggers can be almost anything for humans. So I talked about a certain time of day, Charles Duhigg 
had a trigger, right? When it came to be the late afternoon, the intuitive part of his brain said, oh, it's, it's getting late. I know what we should do here. And it, it primed this desire for a cookie. The end of a meal can trigger a certain behavior for you. Being in a geographical location, like in a part of a store can, can be a trigger. Seeing that the fuel gauge is, is low, that can serve as a trigger. So an important part of understanding habits and of trying to change habits is figuring out what those triggers are. And the trigger stage is exactly why so many habits are changing now during the pandemic. All of these triggers that we had ingrained into our behavior, whether it was things that happened on the drive to work or the stores that we've always been shopping for, all of these behaviors. And, you know, I had kind of a budding habit of exercising in the morning. It was very hard one. Now my gym is closed. That habit is gone. Right. So I've struggled to form a new exercise habit because of the pandemic. So these triggers are why things are different now. We had a wave of trigger resets when the pandemic started. We're going to have another one as we come out of the pandemic and as people start to fall into new routines. So think about triggers because this is your entry point. This is where you have the opportunity. To show our appreciation, we are pleased to offer you a 50% discount on my book, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience, Extraordinary Stories of Remarkable Success. I give a number of examples of how the hidden customer experience has a huge impact upon growth and revenues. Please just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock and use the promotional code podcast 50. That's podcast 50. And this is the exact reason, mate, I wanted to talk about this now, because what we've got to realize is that people's habits have changed. They have formed new ones. And I guess the interesting part for me is, do organizations really sort of think about the fact that they are, what are the new habits? Are they just assuming that everyone's going to go back to their old habits? Or are they turning around and going, well, actually, this is a, and I think this is the case, this is a massive opportunity for us to install a new habit or continue with a habit that we want our customers to continue with, basically. Yes. Firms will, again, (laughs) we're not trying to paint too rosy a picture of what is a human disaster. This is, it's awful that we've got this pandemic. But to your point, organizations will have two opportunities for massive habit resets within about a year and a half or two years. That will never happen again. If you miss the first wave of habit reformation, that's a bummer. But you've got another one coming that may be longer lasting that we hope as we get back into a new, new normal. People are going to be forming new habits again. So your question, are organizations thinking about this? I would guess not as many as should be. I can attest to that, mate, amount of conversations I've had, yeah. So let's take, again, a step back. Rule two, when we're talking about discovering the triggers, the question then becomes, well, how do I do that then, yeah? Well, you've got to look at what customers are doing, okay? You've got to look at it through the eyes of there are some conscious things that are happening here, and there are some subconscious things that are happening here. So again, people will know of us discussing this many times before. It's not just as simple as going up and asking a customer, well, what are you doing now? 
you know, and why are you doing it, basically? Because they may not actually be able to tell you. They may not even realize that they're in a habit themselves and therefore looking at what they are doing, looking at the signals, trying to interpret those things, and then by all means talking to the customer, but don't just take what they tell you. That's the key message for me. You've got to go below that and truly try to understand what those triggers are. Yeah. Now, my, my advice for identifying triggers is think about if it's a habit you want to change, think about the behavior that people engage in when they start to engage in it. What is in their environment that is likely causing that automatic behavior? Where are they at? What are they doing? What are they likely thinking about? Those are all the things that could serve as triggers. If you're looking to install a new habit, you know, think about that behavior that you want people to engage in. What are the things in the environment that could activate that behavior? And what are the things in the environment that you, as a marketer or as a customer experience expert, have the opportunity to change? Like, what can you do to trigger that behavior? So let's move on to number three, and that is distract your customer from their existing habit. So bear in mind, we're talking about changing habits. If you're changing a customer's habit, you've got to distract them. You've got to get in there somehow and change it. And we've talked long and hard so far about the pandemic. There's probably not been a (laughs) – I can't think of a larger distraction or disruptor (laughs) is maybe – Another good word to use. Certainly not recently. No, but we've talked before, haven't we, about vacations or any other special time when people are changing lifestyles for some reason, I guess, getting married or having a baby or going on vacation or changing house or all of those key points, those big key points are are opportunities for you to go, There's a there's a change here we've got an opportunity to change the customer's habits. Or if you want to keep those customer's habits, you need to recognize you need to do something to keep those customer's habits because there's a danger that they may stop that habit in that new environment. And those are the big things. You know, you may be sitting there going, well, we don't, it doesn't really matter to us when customers move. So uh, what does that mean for us? Well, there are going to be things that you can do to distract your customers and insert yourself at at that point. Another way of, of reframing this idea of distraction to be consistent with what we've been talking about is distractions hide the triggers that might activate habitual behaviors you don't want. So one example I like to give in classes that's very simple is if you're selling in a grocery store, by the time that people get to the aisle where your product is, there's a, a decent chance that they've already activated a, a habitual response. They're already going to be looking for a, a specific brand or a specific type and so might be completely blind to whatever it is you're offering. But if you sell it on an end cap display, so out of the aisle, somewhere else in the store, those habits haven't kicked in because you're in a different environment. So is there a way of distracting people from their habits, like kind of hiding those triggers so that the habit doesn't get activated? Yeah, and I was thinking, just as you're thinking that, I mean, one of the methods that they use in grocery stores, isn't it, is to get people to taste things. Yeah, that's another great one. That's a good way of distracting or disrupting that habit. Another way is special offers and things like that, as you say, the end displays in a grocery store. So you've really got to think about, well, what is it I need to do here? How do I interrupt this habit from that customer perspective? So you talk about when you walk into a airport, the habit from an environmental 
perspective was to go over to the to the check-in points. Well, you know what? If they'd removed the check-in points, I wouldn't have anywhere to go, would I? And that would have been a big disruptor. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. And the other one that's just come to my mind is going back to the grocery stores. Everybody hates it when the layout of a of a grocery store changes, doesn't it? Or even now putting it into the digital world, just the way that an app works, actually. You think about some of the backlash that you get when Apple or somebody upgrades the software and suddenly not everything's in the same position that you knew it was. Because here's the interesting part for me. We train customers, okay? And no matter how bad your system is, after a period of time, if your customer persists with you, they know how to get around things. So give you an example. As you know, I'm learning to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. I've been buying some songs online. And there's this one website that I, I use, and it's just so awful that I'm searching for a song that I, I want to buy the sheet music for. But I can only do that when I'm in the shop, and therefore I have to go to the shopping part of it as opposed to just putting it in there and it telling me what I've got in my library and what. The point I'm trying to make is I had to learn that. Now, because I know it, that's fine. Well, it's not fine, actually. I still find it a pain in the neck. But I've learned how to deal with it. So I've formed formed a habit to deal with it, basically. The only trouble is I've bought a hell of a lot of sheet music. I just can't play it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I think anybody knows as long as you own it, that's as good as knowing what to do. (laughs) I can hum it quite well. (laughs) what we need to do is we need to have one of these podcasts with me doing a solo or something like that Uh, (laughs) so solo i think i will not sign on for that one i think i think you're a wise person (laughs) let's take a step back rule number one was understand customer habits rule number two was discover the triggers rule number three was distract your customers from their existing habits rule number four reinforce new habits with rewards. So what does this mean? We touched on this briefly, but it's important for us to understand the nature of habitual rewards. And that that is that they tend to uh, work best when they are very intuitive, automatic rewards. You talked about how the smell of coffee triggers the desire for coffee and causes you to stop into a Starbucks. Well, part of the reason that that habit was so easy for you to form is because most people love coffee. They love the pick-me-up. They love the taste of it. That serves then as a reward to reinforce that behavior. When you do something that is appealing to your intuitive system, then that reward reinforces the behavior. If it's an abstract reward, like, oh, well, if I save a little bit more now, then when I retire in 20 years, I'm going to be moderately better off. That's a really hard habit to form because there's no intuitive reward associated with that. So if you want people to form habits, you need to think about rewards that reinforce the behavior and also think about the type of reward. Is it is it intuitive? Is it something that'll make them feel good immediately? I remember I was in a brainstorming session with a company that I was consulting with and we were talking about habits and they were just they were brainstorming what rewards they could get to encourage customers to use a certain type of credit card. And they came up with some really clever things. Like if you make the credit card out of metal, then you might be able to clunk it down on the counter and it'll make kind of a more ringing sound. It'll be distinct. The clerk or the cashier might be more likely to comment on it because it looks or it feels differently. If it's heavier, if the card is is thicker or denser, 
then it might feel differently in your hand and that might serve as a kind of haptic reward where you feel more important pulling it out. These are all very intuitive rewards. It, knowing that you get like triple point value that you can redeem in six months and result, that's a reward, but it's not necessarily the type of intuitive reward that would drive habitual usage. Yeah, no, that, that makes, a, makes a lot of sense. I think the other part of the reward for me, or the reinforcement, should I say, for me is just that you've made the right decision. Now, I yes. guess you could class that as a as a reward, but it's also just around the the reinforcement that the new habit is a good idea, and you're a wise person for making it, or the coffee is a is a hell of a lot better, or you save ten dollars by doing this, or something that sort of says yeah, this new habit is is worthwhile. Oh, all of those are great rewards. And like we talked about the fact that our brains are very very creative in, in recognizing triggers or, or cues. Our brains are also very creative in recognizing rewards. So a warm, fuzzy, feeling smart, knowing that you've saved time and energy, all of these things can serve as rewards. But for example, like if you want to give customers a $10 reward for changing their behavior... A $10 reward that is a check that arrives in the mail three months later is going to be a pretty bad reward. If there's like a little pinging on their phone that lets them know immediately that that the $10 is on the way, that's going to be a much more powerful reward because it's it's a much more intuitive thing and it's happening closer to the action. And so it's going to reinforce better. Good. Okay. So let's move on to number five. Uh, Number five is measure the difference. Sorry to put this one in here because it's a bit boring, but I think it's really, really important. There's no point in doing all this stuff unless you're going to get the results that you want. The only way you're going to know what results are that you've got is to measure it. So you need to measure the habit or measure what was happening before and then measure what's happening afterwards and check the difference. One of the things this obviously is across the whole customer spectrum and the whole channels. The great thing about doing this type of thing, particularly online, is you can measure the hell out of everything. But measuring the effect of this, I think, is 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 absolutely key going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, if you study behavioral science at all, and if you listen to this podcast, you do, then you know that very small and subtle changes can result in big differences in outcomes. So as much as you now know about habits and want to implement this, small changes in in how you implement it could really make this thing succeed or fail. And if you're not measuring it, then you don't have opportunities to make adjustments, to refine it, and make those small tweaks that could turn something that's good into something that's great, or that could turn a program that's a failure into a program that's a success. So yeah, this, like everything else in behavioral science, is not something that can be just kind of one and done. It, It requires measurement it requires refinement and it requires kind of knowing what's going on in as close to real time as you can manage the last thing that i'll say about habits colin is is, as powerful as these ideas are and as enthusiastic as we are about them the last thing people should remember is habits are not the appropriate framework for understanding all customer behavior i worked with a company once where they they wanted people to form a habit about using their health insurance app right and I had to break it to them, that was probably not going to be a habit for anybody because it just wasn't a repeated behavior. So as you're looking to apply this, we all suffer from this where you get excited about some theory and then you try to force fit it onto every situation. Our last bit of advice is use these five rules 
sparingly and appropriately. So actually try to identify things that are in fact habits and then try to understand them in that way. And just to reinforce that same thing, Ryan, I've said many times before, there's never just one thing happening. There's a number of things happening. Let's just summarize by just going through the the five habits again. So understand your customer's habits, break it down and understand that structure. Yeah, the trigger action and reward. Discover what the triggers are. And some of those will be conscious, some of those will be subconscious. Once you've understood them, you can then need to work out how rule number three, you're going to distract your customers from their existing habit and you know how you're going to make some form of intervention to in that habit with customers. Number four, reinforce the new habits with with rewards. And number five, measure it. That will tell you what's working and what's not and make the changes and and see what happens. Uh, The great thing about this is just discovering what happens. And as Ryan said, small things can make a really, really large difference. We hope that's been of use. If you've got any further suggestions of what you would like us to cover, what other rules that you think we should have, or you know, what other topics you'd like us to to engage with, or you've just got any feedback on how we're doing, please drop us a line. Contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. Sometimes when we're doing these podcasts, it feels like we're talking out there to this ether out there. Uh, <laughs> and it's great when we get we get these emails coming in and we go, hey, we got an email coming in. Look what they said. It's really good. Or, oh, that's a bloody good point. We shouldn't do that again, should we? Yeah, drop us a line and let us know how we're doing or any suggestions of something you'd like us to cover. So look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. Just as a reminder, please could you complete a review of the show and that would really help us. Thanks very much. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on the Intuitive Customer.